And that's the judgment. The impending judgment of man's life and soul. It stands out there as the rock of Gibraltar stands in the western part of the Mediterranean Sea. The mariners of old knew it was going to be there. It was a landmark. And as far as the Bible is concerned, judgment rushes in upon us. It's coming. Not anything we can do about it. There's not anything to do to hold it off. Not anything we can do to stop it. It's like age that creeps upon you. And yesterday you were one age and today you're another. Seems only yesterday that I was with some of these young people. And now years have passed by. Lots of water has run under the bridge. And I'm closer to judgment. Not anything we can do about it. Not anything we can do about it. Uh, it's, it's just coming. And, and uh, uh, there's just, uh, uh, it's a fact of the Bible that uh, we must reckon with. We must reckon with. The Bible is very clear and specific about judgment. Time and time again, the words of Jesus himself were not so much to bless and, and make people feel good, but was to cause them to think about their future and that the preparation that they must make for that future. The incoming tide comes in down on the coast here. Comes in and there's not anything man can do about it. Here it comes. It's going to come. And I remember live, when living on the coast, we'd hear weather reports and they would give tide reports for fishermen and for those that were going to be boating and such, and, uh, whatever they were going to be doing. It was just as regular as giving uh, what the temperature was. Uh, the people, many people lived by those tide reports, just as people today live by weather reports. And it's, uh, it's all uh, there, and the tide is coming. There's not anything they can do except to prepare for it. That's all. That's the only thing we can do. But thank God we can prepare. And judgment is coming. And I'm thinking about uh, a number of things here. And there's so much that comes to mind when you think of judgment. And what we're to do about the judgment. And, and what goes into the judgment. And I'm going to teach this afternoon. I don't know how far we'll get, but I am going to go through it. In, in case there's someone here that will not be able to be back again, and uh, I don't know just how time will progress, and you never know as you let the Spirit lead and direct you and guide. And I think a preacher ought to do that. I think that a preacher ought to ought to follow the leading of the Spirit because it could be that I will be preaching to someone their last sermon. It could be that someone will be listening to their last Bible lesson. It could be that uh, someone will never go to church again. This could be the last time. And we'd better make our preaching and teaching good. We, we'd better let God move upon us. Hallelujah. We need to do that. We need to do that. We must feel what we preach. I might say this. I never have been able, and I'm not against preaching and hunting. I told you the other day I went hunting and go fishing a little. I don't know too much about it. I wish I knew more, but I grew up in a desert country where there wasn't any water much. And uh, 
we just didn't have these fishing holes around and lakes and rivers and too much hunting. A few jacks, rabbits, and gophers, and, and uh, prairie dogs, but that was about it. And uh, so I'm not against it. But I never have been able to see how anyone, and I don't want an evangelist to do that when he comes to preach me a revival, I never have been able to see how anybody could be doing all kinds of things all day long for themselves and run in and grab a scripture and then bring that to the pulpit and tell us that that's preaching and teaching. I just never have been able uh, to, with no prayer in its background, no study, no forethought. I believe that we handle some of the most important business in all the world when we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I have, I'm, I'm no great example. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting myself up as that. Please don't uh, misunderstand me. But I'm an evangelist. And uh, I, have, I, I don't know whether I've taught them or not, but I have literally made them pray when they were holding me a revival. All right. I'd hang around the church somewhat. And never would see them in the prayer room or praying and, and be close to the, uh, uh, where they slept and, and uh, stayed and never did hear them pray. And so I would uh, say, all right, at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'll meet you. That'll give you enough time to get your sleep out. And, and let's meet at the church and have a little prayer meeting. <laughs> Amen. I remember one big old boy, uh, he is a, oh, he's a huge giant of a fellow, and when he got up behind the pulpit, that's just the way it was. And the place just shook, maybe not with so much spirit, but just with 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 his bigness. He was, and he was a fine fellow, but he didn't pray much. And uh, I've never been able to understand how a preacher could preach without praying. Uh, I can't live for God without praying. We, we need to pray. We need to pray. Uh, my wife and I lived together, we've lived together a long time, and uh, she's one of the best friends I have, she's one of the best friends I have, and we talk, and, and we uh, communicate together, and I want to talk to her, I was just glad to hear her voice a little bit ago, I was sorry for the bad news she brought me, but uh, I was glad to hear her voice, and uh, I hope that she feels the same way, and somehow I feel that she feels that way about it. And uh, we, we have a good time together, uh, just talking with one another. And I feel if we love God, we will love to talk to him and to communicate with him. There's just something about this spiritual experience that reaches for God, that reaches for heaven, that loves to hinder the sound of his voice, that loves to talk our heart out to him and to communicate with him. And uh, I remember that boy, he thought I was going to pray to him. <laughs> hey, I, I just prayed longer than normal because I felt like he needed a good prayer. <laughs> Amen. You know, he was talking to the best people in the world, the people I was pastoring. He was, uh, we were working and bringing people in to listen to him preach, and I wanted him on fire when he hit that pulpit. Amen. You pastors know what I'm talking about. You want the same thing. Amen. And so, 
Um, I trust that somehow that uh, the Spirit can guide and direct this. Um, that's what I pray for. Whether I get myself into that place or not, uh, that's what I want. I, I, I want to be used of God. I must be. Here we stand between heaven and hell. We stand between this earth and someone's eternity. Right here today, men hanging in the balance. There could be a man here today or a woman or a young person who's practically lost out with God. And what's said and what's felt and how God moves here this afternoon could make the difference between their landing safely on that other shore and their going to a devil's hell that wasn't prepared for them. Oh, let's pray right now that God will bless them. In the name of Jesus, God and bless and move and use it here today.
he was not paying the price for that revival. And his preaching was good. He could still handle the word. He could still preach well. He said he was a master storyteller. And he knew some, he just had the ability. And he could hold people's interest. But it takes more than that. Amen. It takes the power and the move of God if we're going to do anything for God. We've got to have it. Amen. Well, God bless you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to come back to this line here this afternoon. This line, I can, the people that's been around me very much say they just know I can't speak much without a line drawn on, on a blackboard. It can represent a whole lot of things, but one of the big things it represents to us is time. And I want us to go back to this. And uh, this is creation, and we have the uh, life of Jesus Christ and his death, which this cross represents. We have the rest of the church. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and the coming back to Jesus, the church, his bride will come back to Jesus and set up the kingdom. For the kingdom age of the thousand years of millennium, after that's over, then the thousand years is over, the great white throne judgment at that time. And what I want to go into today, and I trust it'll be of interest to you, it's always been interesting to me, and that is the judgment. And to my mind and to others, there are seven judgments. These seven judgments we would like to pinpoint here today. And I would like for us to go home thinking about the judgment. I think that we ought to know that we're judgment-bound people. We ought to get up in the morning and, and uh, think about it. And we look across the table at, at our children if they're still at home. We ought to look into their eyes and know that they're judgment-bound. Amen. They're in this world they're not just here to make money and to have jobs and have homes and automobiles and all that's fine. Oh, that's all right. But that's not just the reason they're here. And um, I believe God should give good jobs so that in that good job, a person will be able to support the church better, be able to support the church well and pay tithes and give an offering and, and this sort of thing. But we need to look at people in this light. And our homes, our homes should revolve around the idea that we're heading for the judgment. We're on our way. And not only that, but we know that right at this moment that we are within judgment now. These seven judgments, I would like for us to go through them. And to my mind, the first judgment was the judgment at the cross. And uh, that's judgment is there, and we'll come back to it a little bit. I'm just going to go on through, and we're going to take scriptures, see what happens, and what is happening, what's supposed to be happening at each one of these judgments, to my mind, that is. And uh, I think that we can look into the word of the Lord, and interesting. As I have said before, we may not always agree about everything as far as the scripture. And I believe that God has, has, has ordained it this way. He did not tell us everything about everything, every detail, for the specific purpose that it makes us dig all the harder to 
why that he told us that to study, to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we want to study, and we want to look into the word. Someone preaches something, uh, teaches something a little different than what we've thought about, but we began uh, looking at that more, and, and we began trying to substantiate what we think about it. And if what it's doing, what God is doing through that process is causing us to go back to the Word, to go back to the Word of the Lord. And so, uh, to my mind, and to many Bible scholars, uh, the uh, first judgment was at the cross, when Jesus Christ hung suspended between heaven and earth. And then, the second judgment is the first that's going on now during the great dispensation, during this spirit age at this time. And there is a judgment that's going on now. We're judging ourselves. We are judging ourselves in the light of what we hear and what we read in God's Word, what we find out in God's church. And that's a very real judgment, a day-to-day thing happening in our hearts and in our life. Uh, some people lose out with God because they do not are not rightly judging life and judging the things of life. And then we have the third judgment, and that third judgment is at the judgment seat of Christ when Jesus Christ will come back and judge between those that are right and those that are wrong, those that are saved, those that are lost. And he will catch his bride away at the judgment seat of Christ. And naturally at this time, uh, he catches them away to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, for your information, for those of you who are not too familiar with Scripture, most of you naturally would immediately recognize what I put on this line. But for you that are not as yet, and I would realize that there would be some of you that have only recently come into the church, and you were like me. You, you just uh, wanted to know about that Bible, and you wish you knew everything they were talking about. Uh, and uh, uh, you, you don't. You didn't. I didn't at that time. But this little area right here represents Jacob's uh, trouble, or the full extent, rather, of Daniel's 70th week. This is that seven-year period of tribulation period. The first half, more of a moderate period. The last half, great tribulation. Time of great, horrible trouble that I want to be out of this world. I don't want to be here when that happens. And I believe God's church is going to be gone. Amen. But this great tribulation period, and during that tribulation period, the church will have been raptured, and they will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I do recognize when I say this, I recognize. That there are those, and probably among us here today, that would disagree with some of the others in life as far as when the rapture was taking place. In fact, when I first came into Pentecost, a great man in my life that taught me much, and I appreciate him so very much, he's done wrong as far as and that the church would go through the first three and a half.
and a half years. Then, uh, as I studied and, and I came under the influence of other preachers and teachers of prophecy, I found out that there was another belief along that line. Amen. And I liked it. I liked it. I liked it, and I still like it. And, and that is the rapture usually thought of in that first verse, the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. Yeah. 
Here. 
there. He could uh, come through uh, a building that was locked, doors that were closed, never opened, and suddenly he would appear there. This is the type of body we'll have. But there are going to be natural people that will appear that will somehow make it through great tribulation, and they will make it over there. God is going to keep his hand miraculously upon a number of Hebrew people upon the Jews, and they will be the predominant people. But when we come back, the fourth judgment will be set at this time. And that will be the judgment of the living nations. The nations that are living at this time will be judged according to my mind, and we will get to that in, in Matthew, the 25th chapter. However they treated the Jews, so they will be judged. Now, we are God's people, that's true. We are God's people uh, by the design of, and plan of God as he has redeemed us out of the Gentile world. But the uh, Israelites and the Israelite nation, the Israelite people, have always had, and they shall always have, a special place in the heart of God. Now, he left them as a nation. But if you want to know the key to prophecy, just watch Israel. We watch it. And uh, I appreciated what Brother Wisdom had to say here last night. And he'll be showing pictures uh, tonight, and he did the other night, concerning Israel. I think that our minds ought to go there. We ought to study Israel. We ought to study what's happening there. We know. We know this because of what has happened the last 23 years, or actually since the first of the century, but especially since 1948. And after these wars against the Arabs, we know we live in the time of the coming of the Lord because Israel is God's nation as a natural nation and prophetically God has designed and has designed for that nation and however other nations have treated Israel through history so shall they be judged at that particular time they're still going to be Gentile nations they're still going to be Gentiles around the world wherever they're able to be living after this terrible war during uh, Great Tribulation and then during Armageddon, when Christ will come back and destroy the armies of that of the uh, Antichrist that uh, would defy God Himself and that treated the Jewish people as He and these armies treated them. So God will come back and judge them at this time accordingly accordingly. And then we will have judgment number five. And I feel that this will be the judgment of Israel itself. This uh, Israel will be judged. And according to Ezekiel 20, uh, God is going to speak to them. And there are Jews, there are Hebrew people that will have wronged God, will have wronged truth in that hour and that he will bring judgment upon at that time, and he will purge out of the Hebrew nation. And then he will set the strategy for the millennium with them. 
millennium with the Jewish nation. There the plans will be set. And they will become and be the greatest nation, the greatest living, natural, material nation upon the earth. Then judgment number six. And that judgment will be a white throne judgment. But all the other dead, all the dead that are not gone to meet the Lord, the bride of Christ, but all of the other dead will come before the white throne. And Jesus himself shall sit upon that throne. The 20th chapter of Revelation tells us about it so plainly. And you as a preacher, myself as a preacher, have probably used it oftentimes. But it's there as a setback. All men go to the judgment. Now I might say this concerning the judgment. We have a number of songs, and we sing songs that take off. A number of the hymn writers have written without a knowledge of prophecy and without a knowledge of judgment. And they have set the judgment uh, in songs oftentimes as one great general judgment that all men will go to, all of us alike. And uh, it makes a pretty song and we sing them and, and it's all right and we decipher this in our mind as we sing it and we know what that is going to be like and what it's going to be about. But there is not just one great general judgment for all men at the end time. Because we as a church will have already gotten out of here. And we will have been judged. And we will have been rewarded according to our faithfulness. How we will be used in the plan of God through the millennium. But I'm saying the dead will come. Death and hell. The sea. All will give up their dead, and they'll stand before God. You may think you have done what you have done in a corner. You have may have pulled a cover over what you have done, and no other living man knows it. And you may be doing it right now, but you have not hid it from God. God knows the workings of men's hearts. God can go where no one else can go. God can go behind the locked orders of every man's mind. And he longs through there. He knows what's on file. He knows the motivations that drive us to do what we do. And my friend, the Bible says we're going to judgment. And the judge is going to be that omniscient Lord that knows everything knows everything. He knows things we have forgotten. He knows things that are in the past. He knows everything about us. He knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. He knows us. That's another reason why we need to die daily. That's why we need to pray through and get a hold of God and, and love him and walk with him. Hallelujah. Oh, how we need God how we need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. How we need to be filled and refilled and filled and refilled with God. We've got to have him if we're ever going to make it. Let's pray and seek the Lord right now together. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God, let's all stand and worship the 
uh, I got it used. I got the Board of Education used on me many a time, more than I wanted, but not any more than I needed. But uh, I feared him. I feared him. At the same time, I loved him. It's the same way with God. When I look at the judgment, and I look at what's coming, and I know And if I'm ready or not, it matters not at that time as far as the plan of God is concerned. Amen. He's just going to come. He's going to be there. I fear that. I fear. I don't want to be missing on that number. I don't want to be ready to meet God. I want to go there. Amen. I think about the judgment all the way through. God's hand. There it comes. Well, the judgment of angels would be the last one or somewhere there. And uh, the fallen angels, we know that that uh, Lucifer, the archangel Lucifer, had himself built up to such a way that uh, that was unpleasing to God. Uh, it is always displeasing to God when people think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Amen. 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 I'm in agreement here today. I don't believe that in God's church, as far as God is concerned, there are any class distinctions. That, that's, that's my personal belief. I don't believe there's any class distinctions. Oh, we have our friends, you people that you know and that you fellowship with. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about class distinctions. We don't have any big eyes and little U's. Not in God's sight. We all just have a job to fill, and may God help us to fill it like he wants us to. Amen. Amen. We have uh, some elderly people, and they're always in every church that didn't have the educational background or opportunities when they were young, like uh, some of us have had, some of the younger ones have even more, and they can't even write their name. I have pastored people that uh, when it's uh, come time to do anything like that, uh, I have signed for them. They put their ex beside it, and, and uh, they couldn't uh, even write their name. They couldn't read what I was preaching to them. They never knew the joy. of. They held the Bible. They owned them. They would carry them. They loved it, but they didn't know how to read it. They couldn't read it. But some of them have been the dearest saints that I have ever pastored. And some of those people will make it above others that have had every opportunity in the world. And above those that have had talent. People that doesn't have talent, can't sing a song, can't play, can't even carry a tune. And, but they'll do what they can. Amen. They may not have the ability to teach class. They've never learned how to do that. The ability they have is to walk with God and to know Him and they come into a service and they can set it afire with a testimony or the clapping of the hands or getting into the service. Some of those people will pass us by. That's the high class of Pentecost, if there's any. Amen. Our people are there. Amen. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I heard something not long ago, and it it uh, it just uh, it just made me feel bad. I 
I haven't. I, I could hardly believe it. And when my wife and I left, and we we drove home. We just we we talked about it, and and we have mentioned it again a time or two. We have not gone into length in discussing it or anything, but it's it's almost as if it was unbelievable. And someone was talking about the jet set of Pentecost, and uh, that just uh, it just did something to me. Amen. And what they were talking about, they were talking about someone marrying someone else. And the someone else wasn't good enough to marry this someone. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Their, their parents were good people. I knew them. I've known them a long time. They paid the price for uh, the dad is a pastor and a, and a fine man and a great man. And uh, uh, is a district official. Not here. Somewhere else across the country. And uh, you wouldn't know who it was. was not good enough to marry someone else. And I thought, I'll tell you what that girl needs. She needs that old boy. If a boy makes it, I believe he'll make it. He knows where he came from. He knows the price that was paid in his family and home. He knows how his dad has dug out churches. He knows how his dad has worked with his hands to support himself and his family so a church could be built in a city. He knows what it is to roll up his sleeves and bow his back and get his hands dirty and do something. He knows he may not be as polished as some would be. But give him time. Amen. Give him time. Amen. Let God work on him for a while. Let, let the church work on him for a while. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you, uh, churches can have a way of knocking some rough edges off of us. I'll tell you that. Amen. I wish they hadn't roughed me up so well, so, so much in the past. Amen. But uh, uh, they have a way of polishing us a little bit. They have a way of knocking some rough edges off of us. But I just, I don't know. I just, and I still want to think about it. I don't think that's a prominent attitude. I think that that should be maybe an attitude of some. There may be, and I just say, God help them. God help them if they feel that way. I believe that we're children of God. Hallelujah. We're born again. And I don't mean that people can't feel that someone could marry someone and they have their choices and that sort of thing as far as, as their likes and dislikes. I'm talking about people thinking that they're an upper crust or on a higher level or, or something above other people. We're just not. We're just not. And I don't care what anyone thinks about it. This is the gospel truth. This Bible says that with God there is no respect of person. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. Well, we have these and 
time is passing by. Let me just run through uh, some of these here. As far as the judgment there, a blessing will come back here to it. I wanted to go through it before I went. Uh, I, we have scripture for this, and I'm sorry that I just didn't have time to go into the scripture there. But let me give you this scripture, and uh, let's read it, and let's look at it. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to know the judgment. And, and what happened at Calvary? Here at this first judgment. Amen. Let's read uh, 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter and the 21st verse. I know that this is familiar to most of you, but it's a beautiful thing. What happened at Calvary? What happened to Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him. This is God has made the Son. But God, uh, just before that, uh, in the 19th verse, the Apostle Paul said this, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We went into the sonship yesterday, and we oneness people shouldn't be afraid to use the word sonship or son uh, in reference to the flesh of Jesus Christ, that the very eternal, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God came to this earth in to redeem man and gave that body, his flesh, his son on Calvary. And so Paul has said to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. But this 21st verse, talking about what God did to the Son, to the flesh, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, talking about him who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Oh, yes. That's what happened at Calvary. He was made sin. Upon the key back of Calvary. And other men walked nobly and forwardly to their death for him. Why did he pray as the flesh prayed out to deity within him? The son to the father saying, Oh, father, if it be possible, let this pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Why? It wasn't just death. It wasn't just dying. That was the easiest part of it. But suddenly he was feeling the weight of your sin and mine. What, what's all the sin you ever did? What, what did you ever do? He, he was nailed with him to the cross. He He 
was nailing those then to the cross. He had to go there and die and bleed so we could be here and so we could make it at the rapture of the church. Hallelujah. Amen. And so sin was judged on Calvary. And Calvary's blood of that one, that sinless, perfect one that died on the middle cross spoke to God for the sins of man and all mankind. As Brother McGehee said, not only for ours, but those that came from behind us. That last chapter, last verse of the book of Hebrews 11, that faith chapter, tells us that without us, they could not be perfect. Without us, they couldn't have been. And that's what he did. When he went to the cross and died there, he led those captives free. Hallelujah. He set them free for eternal salvation. Talking about the saints of the Old Testament saved according to uh, the plan that God had for them. Yes, sir, he was made sin. Who knew no sin? He was made sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's where we are today. When we're baptized in the Holy Ghost, when our life is completely consecrated, Paul said it this way, we're hid with Christ and God. We're hid with Christ and God. Amen. I remember one time a little... Um, uh, was a colored preacher from the Delta, lady preacher, pastored several churches. And uh, when Mother Holmes was home years ago, when I was up northeast uh, Mississippi going to school there, and and uh, Mother Holmes and this lady came to the church, came to the chapel meeting one morning, and I never will forget the, her preaching. And uh, she said this that I don't believe in women preachers. <laughs> And she had about a half a dozen churches over in the Delta, oneness churches. And uh, 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 she said, I don't believe in, uh, in women preachers, but she said, she said, until some of these men just get up and start to work, then some of us women just going to have to carry on their work. <laughs> she was really getting with it. But I never will forget a statement she said. She said, and she was getting carried away with it, and she said in, in that colored fashion, the way they could say things. She said, I want to be so hid with Christ and God that not even a fingernail is sticking out. Amen. Amen. I've, I've thought about that through the years. I, 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 that's, that's the way all of us should have. That type of desire. Every one of us should desire to be hid with Christ and God. Well, say praise the Lord. Read Galatians 3 and 13. Galatians 3 and 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And there he hung, chained in the shame of the cross. There he was. He was the Calvary that we could be saved. He was made a curse for us. First Peter 2 and 24, along the same line, said this. The Apostle Peter, speaking to us, said, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose 
stripes you were healed. Two great truths there. Amen. The sins were taken care of there. But not only that, that by his stripes were healed. Hallelujah. Amen. He suffered those stripes for the healing of our bodies. Amen. And we can trust God for it. And we can tell God about it. And we can say, part of your word, you have promised this. And I'm going to believe you for it. Well, say thank the Lord. So sin was judged here. And now we come to the second one. The second judgment, and that's the present judgment that's going on in this world right now. I'd like for us first to turn to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and read verses 31 and 32. It's 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians is one of the most informative books in all of the Bible as far as church living. Because did you know churches in the New Testament age uh, sometimes didn't do everything just right? And there was a lot of things in that Corinthian church that wasn't going on just right. And this 11th chapter tells us about it too. But he said this. And here's what he told those people. And he tells us that this today. For if we, 1 Corinthians 11, 31, 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. We don't have to worry about the judgment if we'll judge ourselves and judge it correctly in the light of what we hear under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, what we are taught in our pulpits and in our classes out of the Word of God, and what we study and read for ourselves and know is truth from God. I believe that there is enough that's going on in our churches, enough preaching and teaching from God's divine book under the leadership of the Holy Ghost as he directs our own personal lives to save us everyone gloriously and make us ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen. 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 So, if we would judge ourselves, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is a good one also. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Then, or this then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Oh, I like that. And the sixth verse, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. John was pretty hard hitter too, wasn't he? Amen. Amen. You know, I thought about it, even the words of Jesus, too. And, and uh, uh, did you know, uh, if some of us would pull and say some of the things that they said as strong and as rough as they said in the New Testament, we'd be hung to the nearest tree out of here sometimes. Amen. You know that's the truth. Everyone say praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And he just said, you lie. If you say you have fellowship, with him and walk in darkness, if you're still in your sins, if you're still out there doing the things that are unpleasing to God, then you lie, he said, and do not the truth. And the seventh verse, though, is where we get to along this line. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, hallelujah. If we walk 
in the light. We walk in the light. Oh, this is an important thing. And this is not just, this is talking to saved people walking in the light. This is talking to people that have had the light uh, of the gospel already shining in their heart. This is talking to people that are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And he's telling us we need to walk in the light. We need to keep the light of the gospel shining upon our pathway. We need to stay in the light. That's why we tell people to get in church and stay there. When those doors are open, come to church, go to prayer meetings, do everything that you can possibly do for the kingdom of God, and you're walking in the light. Amen. Obey the word of God. Obey holiness standards that are set in the church. Obey uh, that minister, that pastor, the pastoral authority. I do believe that the pastor has that authority in that local church. And I believe that the people that are there should follow the leadership of that godly pastor. As he follows Christ, we must follow him according to this word. I thank God that Paul said that. He was man enough to say this. Don't just follow me to the end of the earth no matter what. But he said, as I follow Christ, you follow me. Amen. That's why he said that if we are an angel, come and preach any other gospel than what they had already received. He said, I gave you a gospel. And if I come back preaching anything else, don't listen to me. You listened to what you heard first, and you were delivered from sin in, and you stick with that and stay with it and walk with God. Amen. Amen. Did you know people can be grounded just like that? Hallelujah. Uh, all of us know the story of one particular part of the country. Just swiftly say this concerning that being grounded in truth, where a great preacher of that particular day uh, built up a large congregation. He preached truth. He preached it like it was. I remember reading some of his writings at that time and, and how that he pled with the people and, and uh, he said he had prayed and heard from God and those people believed him and believed the word of God that he preached. And then God got a hold of his heart. He looked for bigger crowds. He looked for greener pastures. He, he looked for other things. He was led astray. Uh, somehow uh, the, the flesh within him desiring other things, led him away from the best thing that he could have. And then he came back to that city, and he thought through his ability, and because those people loved him, and they'll still tell you, those that uh, were saved under him back there, they'll still tell you he was a preaching machine. They'll still tell you that he was a great man when he walked with God, that he had a touch with God, and he could get a hold of God. I've had people that tell me within the last year that very thing, but he lost out. He came back to that city, and he tried to uproot those very people that he had dug out. But they did just exactly what Paul told them to do. Amen. They stayed in the gospel. There's something about truth that will rally people when nothing else will. What is wrong? together here on this Saturday afternoon. What has brought us to the sanctuary? What has put us on these pews and be behind this pulpit? The truth that we all share and cherish and love and that has saved and delivered us. Oh, thank God. Thank 
Hallelujah. 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 Amen. And so as we walk in the light, and this light is the light of the gospel that's upon our hearts. This light is our judging ourselves in the light of that gospel, looking at ourselves. You know, light always exposes. Light exposes things. A lot of things you can't see in the darkness. A lot of things you can't see in the shady parts. Yeah, but when light comes, you're able to see it. And so it is within our own lives. And, and this is why it's so important that we stay under the shining light of the gospel, that we let prayer and, and anointed preaching reach into our hearts and let devotion to the Word of God and to uh, His Spirit uh, shine into our hearts to expose anything that may be darkness, that we want to see him as he is and be what he wants us to be. Let's lift our hands again and worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, thank God. Thank God. Amen. I'm going to close with, with this number three. And this number three is of the saints and then we will, we will close with that. And, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I'd like to go there first. 1 Corinthians, well, let's first let's read 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. This very familiar scripture that you have heard preached from many times, but gives us something today. 1 Corinthians 5 and 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so this is at the rapture of the church. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us are going to that judgment. And I believe that that is the time of the judgment seat. The white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ are two different things. What Paul is talking about here is to the church itself, to the believers, to that body of Christ that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The great white throne judgment of chapter 20 in Revelation is concerning all the other dead. All of those that have gone on, when all will give up its dead, then they will come and stand. The book will be opened on that last day. Uh, so this is the judgment seat of Christ. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 3 and 8 through 16. 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, this has to do with the labors together. Uh, 8 says, this is 3 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 8, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. I am a believer in reward. I believe that we will be rewarded according to our faithfulness. Uh, I think that there are people that, that uh, aren't as, as, I believe they're saved, but they aren't as completely dedicated as other people. They're good people. They're in the church. They do a lot of things for the church but they're not as completely dedicated as some other people that are paying maybe uh, much more than 100%. They're going much farther than the call of duty, way beyond that. And so each man will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Now he's talking to the church. He's not talking to sinners, he's talking to the church. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God. Amen. That's a pretty thing there, isn't it? I'll tell you. Amen. She's just interested in what's going on around here. Amen. All right. 
according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. This reminds me, this fire reminds me of Brother Gerald's message on Monday night, talking about the fire of God and what that fire will do. The fire of judgment will come one of these days. That fire will burn. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let me read the 16th verse. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And he goes on. He talks about the temple being defiled and then being destroyed. But there is this mentioning here. It seems like that there are three categories here in my mind in this area talking about reward. There will be those people that will build rightly. They will put a lot into this. They're going to put much into it. They're going to be building uh, out of the right attitude and such. And when uh, Jesus comes and his reward is with him and he rewards men according to their labor here in this life. He will reward them accordingly. They shall have their reward. But then he talks about some that are going to be saved, but their works are going to be burned up. Now, he's not talking about, he isn't talking about people that are, he's not talking about holiness. He's talking about things that we have done for God, what we have put into this. I don't think anybody will be saved unless they're holy. I don't believe anyone will be saved unless they have obeyed the gospel, and they're living right, and they're coming to church, and this sort of thing. But a lot of people work for themselves instead of God. A lot of people uh, build for themselves instead of building for God. Many people sing for themselves and their own reward here in this earth, and not the reward of eternity. We're not the judge. We don't know. We don't know how it will be. We don't know why people do what they do. But God knows. God knows. He knows how to judge. He knows how to decipher. He knows how to tell the difference. We always can't do it. We have to at times accept the Spirit putting us on us with a supernatural gift of some type through knowledge or wisdom. Then we would know. But He is, uh, He knows everything about us. There is a danger that if we're not giving our lives to God, that we will be saved. But we will be the mayor of Podunk Holler or the garbage collector out there. Amen. That's right. Amen. And there's not going to be too much uh, reward that's going to come our way. That's why we need to be sold out to the right motives. We need to be sold out to the right attitude. We need to be doing things for him because we love him. As Brother Thornton said the other day concerning that first Corinthians 13, those first verses, if we can, we can do a lot of things and not do it for the love of God. And it's meaningless to us. Meaningless to us as far as God is concerned. Well, the rapture of the church is coming. It's coming and it's
Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. And so it's coming. It's coming as sure as we're sitting here today, as sure as we're in this building, as sure as we've heard from God today, judgment is coming. Where are we going to stand? Where do we stand now? What about our lives? What about our yesterdays? What are we going to do tomorrow? Amen. All of that, we must answer before God today. We're going through this second phase of judgment because this third phase is, is rushing upon us. It's quicker and sooner than when we first believed. Would you stand with me and let us pray and seek the Lord? Amen. Oh, our God. Amen. 